Greetings, this is Olive, the Feminine Princess on the Art and Science of Femininity, sharing with you the treasures, riches, and secrets of feminine creativity and knowledge for women who follow Christ. So the story of Deborah comes to us from Judges 4. From that we can deduce that Deborah was an Ephraimite because she dwelt in the mountain of Ephraim. So if you know anything about the lands that were disseminated to each of the tribes of Israel, each of them had their portion and so they all had their place on the map. They say she dwelt under a palm tree that was named after her, which is interesting because now we name buildings and streets after people, but she actually had a tree named after her. Now, her name means bee, which is a dual meaning. If you study a bee, you know that they can not only sting, but bring honey. So her being symbolized as a bee means that bees have a dual meaning because they sting and it's painful but they also produce honey that is sweet. And so we can look at that and look at Deborah, who's named after a bee, and say, wow, she can bring the judgments of God, which can be painful and sting us for a while, but she also brings the sweetness of the Lord, which are his compassion and mercy toward us and make life sweet for us. And so it opens up in verse four that she was a prophetess as well as a judge. So she had national recognition of prophesying and judging the people of the Lord. It also says that she was a wife of Lapidoth. And I looked that up and Lapidoth can actually mean a place or a person. And we don't know for sure. She may have been an actual wife of Lapidoth which the translation says wife, but that word Isha can also mean a woman. So it could also mean that she's the woman of this place. For example, if I lived in Paris, I would be called the woman of Paris, you know, Olive of Paris. So her having national recognition means that she was respected as well as influential, which is interesting because a lot of men today have problems with women in leadership position when we clearly see right here that God has chosen her not only to lead her people for a season but to judge it too and to bring prophecy, prophecies from the Lord to them. So it's clear that God can use women in unusual high positions for his purpose. Later on we'll also see that she's a singer as well as a lyricist. I find that to be a common pattern with prophetesses in the word that the Lord uses. They not only give the oracles of God, but they also sing too, which I think is key to victory, singing. As we can see throughout the scripture, that singing has a lot of value in bringing victory to whatever battle you're experiencing. And so her story comes to us in the middle of a, a greater pattern of 
the children of Israel. And, and we've seen this pattern repeat itself several times throughout their history, or at least throughout the Old Testament history, which is first, they disobey the covenant that they have agreed to from the Lord. Second, they receive the results of that disobedience. Third, they repent of their disobedience. And fourth, the Lord delivers them from whatever he has allowed that consequence to come upon them. So Judges 4 opens up in the middle of this repetitive pattern that the children of Israel experience. And this pattern we can see started in the previous chapter. We see that God purposely left enemies for his chosen people. There are three specific reasons why the Lord leaves enemies for his people. Number one, to test them. Number two, to teach them how to war. And number three, to see what was in their heart, to see if that they would obey him or not. So we see in Judges 3.11 that the children of Israel had rest for 40 years. Then they did evil, then they cried out to the Lord, and then he delivered them. And then chapter 4 opens up them disobeying and the Lord allowing their enemies to overcome them. And so they had been in oppression for about 20 years when they repented and cried out again. And that's where Deborah is introduced. And after this great feat that Deborah leads, the children will have another 40 years of rest without war, without enemies, without any dire concern, which I think is a wonderful place to be. So to summarize chapter 4, she's given a prophecy to a specific man in Israel, and she names two specific tribes, Nephtali and Zebulon, and tells this man to bring out a total of 10,000 men from these tribes and to defeat their enemies of Sisera. And so, unfortunately, this man was a little bit... Uh, what's the right word? Apprehensive, afraid, concerned, call it what you will. Which again, this is highly interesting because men feel like women should not be in positions of leadership. But yet here we are having a man who was called out to leadership, but yet he was having all of these um, apprehensive thoughts. And so he told Deborah that he will not lead these children into war, even if the victory is decreed by the Lord, unless Deborah comes with him, unless Deborah leads with him. He has some concerns and fears about that. And so he asks a woman to be by his side, knowing that she has favor with God, knowing that she's a prophetess of God, knowing that she has been a national judge. He now elevates her to national military leader. And she agrees, but she gives him one condition. Because he did not want to take this honor and this position that the Lord had given to him, she tells him, because you have chosen to have me by your side, unfortunately, the victory and honor is going to go to the hands of a woman. And he didn't seem bothered by this. I think he wanted the support more than anything. So she agrees to come and he 
uh, goes with her and they get their 10,000 men and Deborah is the one who actually leads these 10,000 men plus one so I call it 10,001 men that this woman led I mean think about that that's so powerful a woman leading 10,001 men into battle into victorious battle and so as they were fighting they were getting the victory um, because she commanded them to go forth and the Lord was on their side and gave them favor as they were fighting the captain of the host of Sisera the king of Sisera Sisera himself he turned in to go to a Kenite tent which he had favor with before before I guess they were on good terms and they had a good relationship so he felt like I can go into this person's tent because um, they're on my side and at least have my good in mind. So the wife of Hippor, this man that he had favor with, that Sisera had favor with, she has actually enticed him and she said, come here Sisera, come into my tent. And he's like, hide me. And she does, she puts a mantle over him and she give, gives him a bottle of milk which I find interesting. Did they have glass bottles or what kind of bottle was it? Well, it doesn't go into detail, but it says that he asked for water because he was thirsty and she gives him a bottle of milk. And so he lays down to go to sleep and horrific things take place after that. Basically, if you want to know what she does to him, I would suggest reading Judges 4, but it's very gruesome. And I will just sum it up in this word, she annihilated him or she killed him. This Kenite probably descended from Jephro. Remember, he was Moses's father-in-law and he was a Kenite, so he probably descended from Jephro. So I want to pause for a moment here and talk about Jael. I want to make it a point to say that this is not to advocate murder at all. This is not to advocate killing at all. But please note in the commandments, if you look at the Hebraic translation and meaning of that scripture, thou shalt not murder or thou shalt not kill, it does not mean in English what we think of as just taking another life. No, it actually is specific in saying thou shalt not shed innocent blood. So people who are innocent, God was saying don't kill them. People who aren't evil, aren't doing something wrong, aren't um, bad in some sort of way. God said, those are the people you're not supposed to touch, you're not supposed to kill. So that was the actual commandment. Again, I'm not advocating violence, I'm just clarifying what the commandment said and what God meant. And I want you to really think about what Jael did. So she took this guy out, she took the king the leader, the host of the children of Israel's enemy, she took him out. She ended his life. And so I don't know about you when I think of, you know, if I have an enemy and he's coming against me forcefully and violently, if someone takes that person out, I'm going to feel grateful, obliged. I'm going to feel uh, thankful and so this is what the children of Israel did they felt thankful they were honored they felt um, grateful 
that the leader of their enemy is gone. He's no more, so he cannot oppress them anymore. And so her doing this freed them. Her doing this gave them liberty. Her doing this restored peace in the land. And so of course they're going to rejoice. Of so later when they praised her, they said, she is going to be blessed above all women. Isn't that interesting? A woman who goes into um, military um, tactics or military mindset without going with a host of people. I mean, she honestly used seduction to bring this king toward her, or this leader toward her. She used seduction and cunningly took care of this person for her people. She definitely had a vital part in this battle. And because of that, the children are singing her praises and, and worshiping God behind her and saying that above all the women in the tent, she's going to be blessed. So I just want you to think about that for a moment and think, you know, if there was an enemy coming against you and someone took them out, how would you feel about that person? Wouldn't you feel somewhat obliged toward them for something in your life now that you have liberty now that you have freedom now that you have peace and so that's what she did here and so during that time we have a woman who is a warrior you know in the untraditional sense she's a warrior and ha plays a, a major role and part in the victory over Sisera and many people are still talking about her you know her name is recorded her as a memorial and she is bestowed with the blessings of god you know we may not have physical enemies but we have spiritual ones especially if we're serving christ we have a spiritual enemy that uses all kinds of tactics specifically tailored to us and yet the lord has specific weapons against that enemy and I just want to take a pause here to thank my mother and her sister my aunt for helping me overcome a lot of spiritual demons in my life and I'm, I'm still singing their praise blessed be they because they took out the spiritual enemies that I experienced in life so we end this insightful historical narrative of Hebraic culture and uh, biblical records with Sisera's mother and Sisera's mother was painted by Deborah as the quintessential enemy woman and what I mean by that is she goes into one of her praise songs and she describes how Sisera's mother is reacting she's looking out a window and wondering what's taking her son so long from returning for war and all of her wise ladies were around her and they started to talk to her and encourage her and they said and they said you know what the reason why he's taking so long is because he's enjoying the spoils of war yes every man is spoiling the women of our enemies he's taking a woman or two and having his way with them and they're enjoying all the spoils all the riches all the food that they have so the quintessential enemy woman would never dare believe that they're 
men are being defeated. They think, oh, the reason that they tarry, the reason they're taking so long, the reason that they haven't come back yet is because they're enjoying the spoils of the war. We know they won. We know they got this. We know they defeated their enemy. And that is what she believes. So she continues to stare out the window with these voices in her ear, not knowing yet that her son lays dead by the hand of a woman. And so what is the artistic part of this? We heard the historical Hebraic part. What is the artistic part? Well, Deborah was known as a mother in Israel. Now again, that mother could be figuratively or literally. She could have had a, a, a child or children and she was known as being a mother to them or it could be figuratively because she was a judge and a prophetess. It could be that she was a mother to the children of Israel. Either way, I would suggest that being a mother has a lot of nurturing, sensitive, caring, feminine characteristics and that they were probably given to Deborah. Even though she did have to rise to the occasion and lead in battle because she was called upon to do so, um, she was still a mother with these tendencies or these traits that feminine women have because when people approached her, I mean, she was known for dwelling under the tree named after her, and she was known for that because she was there a lot judging Israel. And so when Israel would go to her, different people in the camp go to her with issues, she would have to judge them righteously and according to the word of God at this time. And I surmise that she used a lot of her feminine qualities of being caring and nurturing and sensitive in order to judge righteously. And so we can learn from her how to be a mother in our environment. I mean, we don't have to mother people. We don't have to smother them by being the typical, stereotypical, scolding mom. Um, but we can be a mother in a sense with these soft feminine qualities in communicating in our relationships. Now, before we move on to the scientific portion, I just want to mention in the Hebraic recordings here that it was highly unusual, highly unusual for a woman to lead and lead in war. This was a one-of-a-kind unique situations, that's true. But I believe the Lord left it here not because of how critical it was to the victory of the children of Israel at this time, but also to show us that he can use anyone. He could use a child, he can use a woman, he could use a group of people you would never consider to lead you, to lead the people, to lead the whole land into victory and freedom and peace that he has called. So the scientific part, I actually went to the military leader's site and he was sharing his thesis on the military brain during war. And he says the brain naturally minimizes danger and maximizes reward. That's what we do normally and usually if there's no immediate threat. Now, in order to be a leader in combat or just to be in combat, period, he says to, in order to have success, 
the military must overcome this natural impulse to avoid danger and to actually run toward it because they're fighting a war and they can't just retreat. Part of war is, is fighting on the front line and moving toward the battle, not away from it. So how well the brain does in determining and deciphering how to cope with dangerous situations and perform tasks that ensure survival. That takes a lot of training because I'm telling you, if I see a creature, I'm out the door and that's a creature. So people in military have to prepare for combat and how do they prepare? They have to prepare mentally. They have to train their brains to perform with emotional stability because of course being in war and, and warlike surroundings and situations and bombs and gunfire and shots and people going down, people popping up, you know, this will cause a lot of emotions to arise and not so good ones and ones that just want to say, hey, I want to live and get out of this place. So they have to be reconditioned to handle that type of situation. As well as they have to train with cognitive stressors, high level thinking, and balance their emotions, memory, and reasons. All of these five things are done in the limbic system and the prefrontal cortex. So these things have to be highly trained in order to have success in war. And so thinking about these things, knowing what Jael did and knowing what Deborah did and knowing what Barak did in order to lead these 10,001 men into battle and make sure they don't retreat because the host of Sisera at one point retreated and they went after them. So I guess that encouraged them once they saw that to pursue even more. They didn't say, oh, they're running. Okay, we won the victory. Let's just go back. No, they went toward more intense fighting and combat and annihilated them. So it takes this type of mindset to handle that. And absence is where Deborah got her training from, but I really believe she was anointed to handle it. So I like to pray about this. A beautiful model of Deborah that the Lord gives us and keeps recorded and judges for us and to extract the benefits for our lives today. Let us pray. Thank you, Lord, so much for revealing to us such a highly unusual situation that can be such an encouragement to us. Sometimes you're going to lead us as women into places that no man has gone before and no woman has gone before. And you're going to lead us into that place and we need to have the full confidence, just like Deborah did, that you're going to give us the victory, whatever it might be. Whatever we're called to be, whatever we're anointed to be, whatever our purpose is from you, we need to have complete victory in that realm, in that situation, in that circumstance. And so we ask that you fill us with the confidence, the same confidence Deborah had in knowing that you were going to give her and her people the victory. Give us the same confidence in what you're calling us into. I ask that you show us anything that we're supposed to be doing at this time that's unconventional unconventional show us these things lord and give us again the confidence in you for our confidence is not in ourselves for we could do nothing without you jesus but our confidence is in you lord 
So I ask that you continue to reveal to us different things, different situations in our lives that we're supposed to be addressing. You know, Deborah was a judge here, um, and so that means she she understood how to discern between right and wrong, good or bad. You know, in this season where we have a lot of people protesting, in this season where we have a lot of opinions, strongly emotionally charged opinions, I ask that we put all that aside and we say, Lord, what is your thought on the situation? Give us the discernment between right or wrong. Let us see true and falsehood. Let us see bad and good and let us know the difference so we could walk in that way. You told us, walk after you, not turning to the left or right, but walk after you as your word is like a lamp and like light before us that we walk by. And so we're asking that you illuminate your word to us so that we can walk correctly and straightly and forwardly in this situation, in this current atmosphere, in today's uh, lifestyle. And so also, Lord, I want to take this opportunity for any woman who is not close to you or not reconciled with you and that you draw her spirit now cause her to feel in her soul that she needs you and she needs you to not only succeed in the great things in life you're calling her to but to also succeed in the everyday living in the everyday life and so i ask that you reconcile her to your spirit and that she accepts you fully in her heart in her soul in her spirit and that she makes a vow to live for you jesus and that she changes her lifestyle for you jesus and that she asks for the promise that you you said you would send here on earth jesus of the holy spirit that he would fill her body and fill her soul and guide her during these times and afterward and that she will understand that you have died for her, you have risen for her, and you have empowered her to be re reconciled to the Father, to the Lord, and that you continue to draw her close to you, and that she starts reading your word to get into understanding your wisdom and your knowledge and your discretion because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and where do you find the fear of the Lord reading the word so that she reads your word and draws so close to you Lord and you embrace her at this hour these things I pray and bless you Lord for revealing yet another feminine woman in your word in Jesus name amen Today's program was sponsored by Olive Swan. You can visit her at oliveswan.com, browse her store, Pink Peach and Cream, and request a consultation or workshop in your local area. Subscribe to her blog at thefeminineprincess.com, watch her YouTube videos, and find the podcast notes at theartandscienceoffemininity.com.